podcast is brought to you by Welcome to another edition of Watch This or Die podcast, your weekly fix for quality movie recommendations. I'm Scott Crowshar. And I'm Matt LaPlante. And we will be your hosts on this cinematic voyage. Now, it is our goal every week to recommend to you a movie that we not only fucking love, but one that we're pretty damn sure you will too. So over the next 100 minutes or so, we're going to do our very best to convince you to go and check out this movie like your life depends on it. Now, without further ado, the movie that we are recommending to you this week is Fruitful Station. Shots fired, fruit fail. We're trying to get home. What is going on? Next stop, Fruitvale Station. We're gonna go to Frisco, right? To the fireworks? Hmm? We ain't gonna say bye? Bye. Love you too. Everything's changing around me. And I wanna change. Hey! hey. What's up, girl? It's now or never. And we thank you for joining again this week. We are embarking on the second week of February. And here in America, it is Black History Month. And we have dedicated this entire month to recommending movies from black directors and only black directors as we don't think they get enough voice and we want to be one of those podcasts that give it a voice, that give our listeners recommendations to go out and look at these fantastic movies by fantastic directors that sometimes in this country especially don't get the recognition they deserve unless, of course, it's a movie like Black Panther, which ironically enough is by the director of this movie. So we wanted to spend the entire month showing nothing but support for great movies from great, great directors, and the fact that they're black should not matter, but unfortunately, in this day and age, it still does. I would like to bring in my cohort now, Mr. LaPlante, and how are you on this fantastic, almost mid-February, as we're getting closer to the lovely fucking holiday of Valentine's Day, as if Christmas wasn't close enough, six weeks later, it's time to give more presents to people. Yeah, what a strange, pointless holiday, but yes... This is, uh, it's a good month. Um, it's a great month for us to be celebrating black directors and black cinema. And this movie is extremely relevant to very much everything that happened with George Floyd over the summer and other police issues that we had uh, with the killing of innocent African-American men and women on a regular basis. Where this film is a little bit different, it still shows the same abuse of power and very much a lack of training when it comes to police officers and officers of the law. Well, yeah, this movie definitely isn't light fare, that's for sure. Uh, For the second week in a row, we are definitely dealing with some heavy, heavy material and subject matter. 
last week was slavery. This week is police brutality. And, you know, regardless of, you know, what you want to spin it, but it really does start to show real light on the fact that the black experience here in America is one of extreme, extreme difficulty and odds and just shit happening um, that does not happen to a majority of people who come to this country or who live in this country. So, you know, uh, we wish it could be lighter fare, but again, I don't think it would do justice to the month we're in if we skip the part of their history that is the most relevant and obviously continually in the news, as you were just pointing out with last summer being the summer of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement really gaining real steam. I'm just hoping that it doesn't lose that steam as we now turn into 2021 and hopefully with the new administration, we will start to actually get real change quickly, uh, steadily, and something that will last and hopefully many years back we'll look back and say that 2020 into 2021 was finally the turning point where equality actually was real in america and not just something we tell people absolutely i couldn't agree with you more that's what we're hoping for the best preparing for the worst but yeah we got rid of a very very horrible u.s president the worst one in history and that is breaking more records as being the greatest president ever with being the only president to be impeached twice once while not even in office still anymore so he did a great job there fat fuck and well on that note we are going to just jump right into this movie so we can actually start dissecting it and talking about it Though he once spent time in San Quentin, 22-year-old Oscar Grant is now trying hard to live a clean life so he can support his girlfriend and young daughter. On the way back from watching fireworks on New Year's Eve, he becomes swept up in an altercation with police that ended in tragedy in Ryan Coogler's biographical drama, Fruitvale Station. You guys got plans for the night? To meet up with the fellas, head out to the city. Why don't you take the train out there? That way you guys can hang out and not have to worry about anything. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oscar? Oscar from Pharmacia? Get off the train now! Put that phone away. What you got? Are you still on the train? We're still at Fruitville. Why can't you tell me what is going on? What is the problem? What are you doing? Oh my God. Good, I'm good, I'm good, we're gonna be good, we're gonna be good. As I said, this movie was written and directed by Ryan Coogler. It was his directorial debut. Uh, it was one of those directorial debuts that when we did a list on this many podcast episodes back, uh, I forgot about it and didn't make it, along with probably a lot of movies that will eventually, as we keep going down this journey, realize, holy shit, these movies could have been added in as well. Oh, yeah. It is quite the directorial debut. I believe Intense. it uh, won at Sundance, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Matt? Yeah, that is. And it's great. ironic that right now, technically, this is the time of Sundance. If it, we weren't in a pandemic, uh, you know, we would there would actually be a real festival going on. I believe it's all remote now. But think about it. Last year, actually, it was the last physical Sundance just before everything shut down. It's hard to believe that we are almost a year in to the pandemic as we are about a month away from it being a year in. Unbelievable. Anyways, to get back on track, this movie stars the great Michael B. Jordan, Melanie Diaz, Kevin Durand, Chad Michael Murray, and a very brief but yet shocking turn in the film, 
and the great Octavia Spencer. This movie was made on what feels like a budget that is just befitting uh, a movie of this style, much like a Reservoir Dogs, but it was filmed on a very small budget of 900000 yet grossed $17.4 million. That's pretty good for an independent movie with a first-time director. Yeah. It's probably why five years later, Marvel felt very comfortable giving him the reins to Black Panther, and he knocked it out of the park and made over a billion dollars worldwide. So the man knows how to stack some cash for the big boys. Fun fact with that, you know where some of that money came from? You. Nope. No, not, not me. I wish. Uh, yeah, I'm broke. It came from uh, Octavia Spencer actually forego uh, her salary to help Ryan uh, keep the budget of the film without so he wouldn't have to lower it at all. So kudos to her. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, she she's yeah. really good in this movie. She's, I mean, she's fantastic. And, and just prior to this, you know, she was just coming starting to just blow up, you know, with her finally getting real recognition for the help and then this and then Shape of Water and just continuing. She's great Shape of Water. Hidden figures, like, oh, my God. So many good movies. She's an amazing yeah. actress and amazing woman, obviously, if she's just like, yeah, no, I'm going to get rid of it. How how many people get rid of are like, you know, most people you hear, you know, such and such male actor, oh, cut his salary down to help finance the film. Not just like, yeah, she's just like, no, I'm not care, take it. Like, we need to make this. And let alone to be putting it in the hands of an uh, amazing director like Ryan Coogler, who, who was making his debut. And, you know, one of the other producers on his film was Forrest Whitaker, who had actually been following Ryan while he was in film school. Like, that's how much he was like, this kid's got talent and needs to be, like, brought in. Oh, he's got talent for days, and it shows. And we'll probably talk a little bit about some of his movies in a little bit. Now, this movie actually did decent ratings. You know, I mean, IMDb, they, you know, they're just pieces of shit. But anyways, you know, got a 7.4. So, you know, it got a C- minus for IMDb. However, over in Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave it a 94 and audiences gave it an 87 score, which is a very good score for a first-time director, independent film that didn't get much publicity until after it hit Sundance. So, a very well-received, considering the subject matter of this film being as uh, intense and um, divisive in certain sections, it actually is well-received and that's, uh, you know, doesn't always happen. I'm surprised there weren't any trolls to try to bring that down. Yeah, no. Surprisingly, this is one of the non-attack films by evil horrible racist trolls that go in lower rating scores and give negative reviews to films that they don't like because it is about african-americans or women or whatever other bullshit that they don't care about jewish people fucking just being bigot racist assholes all day long homophobic fuck them well what might have kept the trolls away is just the name. I mean, when you hear Fruitvale Station, it doesn't, you know, suddenly give you any kind of inclination of what it's about, you know? Like, as far as you know, it's just about a, it could be just about a subway stop, you know? Unless you're really into uh, the history of what happened, or you research it, you would not notice, you know? You, just, you may even just walk by it and not even give it a second look if you don't understand. Like, if you're going through Netflix and no idea what it is, you might see Michael B. Jordan and see the poster and just be like, oh, okay, Michael B. Jordan in a movie looks like he's with his little girl. Maybe it's about a, a man who's a single father. You know what I mean? Like, you don't get any inclination from anything on the outside world if you don't know what Fruitvale Station is. Maybe why it slid under the radar from a lot of those clowns that we love to search the internet, the, the keyboard Rambos. The top five reasons to watch this movie. And our first one is number one. 
Michael B. Jordan, in my opinion, and maybe not Matt's, but at least in my opinion, is this generation's Denzel Washington. At least that's how I feel. He has such amazing range and ability to play anything at this point, much like a Denzel. And the fact that he's only been in a few films so far to his credit, and he's still young, I feel like he is just, he is about to be launched into the stratosphere. Not that he hasn't already kind of started to make a big name for himself. Obviously, if you saw the Super Bowl, he was in a fantastic, a fantastic Amazon commercial. That was the greatest commercial of the Super It was so, so good. Fantastic. Oh man, did that? Yeah, that was the that was my favorite commercial, hands down. It's just flawless, isn't it? We think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I literally couldn't imagine a more beautiful vessel for Alexa to be inside. Alexa, how many tablespoons are in a cup? There are sixteen tablespoons in a cup. Babe, food just got here. Why are you cooking? Who's that? You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And French is. Tu es la femme la plus belle que j'ai jamais vue. Alexa, turn on the sprinklers. Honey, I already ran the sprinklers. Alexa, stop. Things are getting way too wet around here. Alexa, dim the light. But I'll save you. Alexa, light up. Alexa. Add bath oil to my shopping list. Alexa, no. Don't do that. Read my book. I was in his hands. I was being changed. All the... Do you know if we have any extra ones, please? I mean, they're probably not using this one. I was kissing you. That everything was breaking and changing and turning in me. Honey, other people have to use the bathroom around here too. I love the fact that they put it on because normally it's <sighs> normally it's the male fantasy. You know, normally it's a commercial yeah, where no, the male fantasy great. and the fact that it got Good to be job. female sexualizing. Um, yeah, sexualizing males. We need to have it happen more. Not just that, but actually sexualizing an African American male. Like that doesn't yeah. usually slide well. Oh, he come on. You do not have to be gay to know that Michael B. No, Jordan he is. is a very attractive <laughs> man. All right, let's not pretend. Oh it's my like, God. like, like he people is sad. Yeah. He is a very attractive man. And he's, he's an extremely great actor, too. But he's, I mean, come on. He yeah. just is. Let's not pretend. All right, folks. Let's, <laughs> it doesn't make you gay. It doesn't make you anything. It just, you can appreciate the opposite sex and the same sex without it make, saying anything about your sexuality. You know, get exactly. a spine. Unless man you, yeah. up. Unless have a little no confidence in yourself. No. Good Lord. I mean, come on. Yeah. Fantastic. Hilarious. Oh, my God. Just great, great commercial. Great. It, it was the, it, great. It was the best thing about the Super Bowl. But, well, Hands down. well <laughs> not for me. Um, those who don't know, I am an actual Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, have been for 26 years, and so it's rare to be able to gloat, be able to say that they won. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. here. I'm we're, a Bucs fan. <laughs> we're here to talk about the, as Matt said, the gorgeous Michael B. Jordan. Absolutely gorgeous. But, I mean, he's only 34, so I feel yeah. like he is in that realm right now of what Brad Pitt, and Leonardo DiCaprio before him. And what I mean by that is, obviously, those guys as well were kind of heartthrob. However, Michael B. Jordan hasn't exactly been cast as the heartthrob, which I think is to his credit, because I think, you know, he gets to really get cast based on his acting chops and ability, not just because he's, you know, uh, easy on the eyes for women to watch. 
and for some men like Matt and me. Um, but I think he is in that early 30s, which is where Leonardo and Brad Pitt kind of like started to explode. You know, they got moved past their, you know, long hair right off in the goddamn fucking sunset on a horse, <laughs> Legends of the Fall, or you jump, I jump, Jack shit. I think he is now about to become a very substantial leading man. I think he's going to start getting more and more. I don't want to say he's replacing Denzel because his son's doing a good job of that. But I yeah. feel like he's he's now in that pantheon of being a major, you know, male lead. And yeah. I foresee an Oscar in his future. I just really do. Oh yeah, yeah. He he's gonna. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Yeah, he's on his way up there, and you know, he's been doing this since he was a, a teen, um, which is crazy. Like to watch him literally grow up watching him in some amazing tv series uh like the wire and become this insanely phenomenal actor which so many great people came out of shows like the wire and oz all those you know nine late 90s yeah, into no, the early 2000 shows yeah you know that we have like a ton of them you know people always think oh you know when they think hbo classic hbo i'll take that back classic hbo you think sopranos but the underrated ones are The Wire and Oz because they are yeah, absolutely. hands down some of the best dramas absolutely. up there with Breaking Bad. Um, but yeah, we've watched him grow up. It's only a matter of time before he does get the win one. Yeah. And he's actually, I just seen this today while looking, he will be directing as of right now Creed 3. Yes, yes, he will. And we'll get into that in a little bit too. But yes, almost everything I've seen him in, he has been spectacular in. Even movies that may not be great, and we'll probably discuss one or two of those, but not his fault. With The Wire, he was fantastic in The Wire as a as a teenager, as a young teenager at that. He has he had to be like fourteen acting ability. He has a range. He can play a number of characters. If that commercial alone doesn't show you that, he totally totally 100% leaned into his looks and totally sold that whole commercial. He was fantastic in it. And he's on what screen? 30 seconds to a minute? It's fantastic in it. Same thing in this movie. He really, really does have amazing acting chops. And we're going to go through a couple of scenes where we can really dive into that, but I don't want to jump to those yet. My question for you then is, he is currently 34, as I said. Is there a better younger actor than him? And if so, who? I'm not going to say better. Two of them, exact same age, one of them two years older, um, but they're all in that same point of their career, and that would actually be um, same exact age, the both 34, is Robert Pattinson, and then also John David Washington, who's 36. And then on the cusp of that, being exactly 40, I would also say Ryan Gosling is somebody, too, that kind of dips yep, yep. into and coming in and out of like being a lead and then going back to either not being lead, being a supporting character, like he still hasn't quite hit, you know, after, you know, he did Blade Runner and First Man. And that was kind of like a bigger year for him to be doing oh, yeah. two major leads and big budget films. Um, but now, you know, Robert Pattinson, we're seeing him just back to back with films, you know, left and right, just always being a supporting character where now we're going to finally see him as Batman and which is insane to even think. And then John, John David Washington, it's really, really good. He is is just insane to think of a guy that didn't even care about acting. That was going to be a football player. And then when that got signed line, decided to 
go into acting, and then it's just like he's and in play Black a Klansman. football character yeah. in a TV show. I mean, he really yeah. made his role in the uh, show from The Rock. And I remember yeah. watching him. So good. And obviously you saw the last name Washington, but I didn't put two and two yep. together. Because he doesn't look like his father. No. He, it definitely looks like his mom for sure. I would love to see him and Michael B. Jordan in a movie together. I think oh, they would be, yeah, fantastic. be so, so good. I'm hoping that if, if the Black Panther franchise moves forward and there's talk of, and Michael B. Jordan said he is very open to coming back. So again, I don't know how they would bring him back um, since he died just apparently in the first one. But I would love to see him and David Washington in that movie together. And some, you know, whether it's adversaries or whatever it is, I think the two of them would be fantastic. Yeah, actually, I did think they kind of, I did think they did slightly allude, like, at the end of Black Panther to the possibility of him coming back, even though, you know, they did show his on-screen death. And A, if you've seen anything, not timeline, if you watch anything in the MCU that's current right now, all bets are off. <laughs> like, True, but we won't get into that. Yeah, but well, that's, we're not gonna, that's, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. But that being said, should they bring him back to take up the Black Panther franchise? Do you think they can? I mean, there's no replacing our original Black Panther. There's just no yeah, No one can replace him. Chadwick. But Michael B. Jordan held the screen pretty well as his adversary in that film. Yeah. And I don't think there was a better adversary to have play uh, Killmonger. No, 100%. him. I just I just loved everything about him in he that film is, as a villain. He's, he's like, like the, phenomenal. He's, he's hands down the best Marvel villain. Like, he has the most, the biggest story the greatest motivations to it it's not like this he's not this Thanos type character that's like uh like this prophet that wants to commit genocide to make a perfect world his story is grounded and it's yeah. amazing and it takes he's place he's only in, a villain because of things that his yeah. father did that yep. Chalice's father did you know so it's it's the he was the monster that was created mm-hmm. by a, something that they did so my only question is Will it take away from the aspect of Wakanda being, you know, like an African country that is completely amazingly technologically advanced and that their true hero is from, you know, within them? Now, I know he technically has the blood of Wakanda, but does it take away because obviously, you know, what Chadwick was able to do with the whole dialect and everything and really committed to it does it take away from that if obviously you know with michael b jordan if he were to take it over does it do you feel like it takes away from that mystique by throwing an american so to speak you know because i mean he can't suddenly <laughs> suddenly start talking <laughs> like, like he's in wakanda forever exactly i don't think it would i think oh my god his dialogue was fantastic and the contrast between his dialogue with everyone else's dialogue was so great uh like one of my favorite lines from him in the movie is when he says what's up auntie to black panther's uh mom, mom there angela bassett yeah angela bassett and Oh my God, like so good. Like, it, fantastic. Like, whatever happens with the Black Panther universe, it's in Ryan Coogler's hands. And I trust him so much. And there's so many great actors and actresses already involved with it that they are, could just do anything. And, and it's going to be great. I know I trust them. It's an honor, Chadwick, and to honor this world that Chadwick helped build perfectly. Like, 
I'm anxious to see it. I hope that would be great for somehow for Michael B. Jordan to be involved with it again. I uh, would be fantastic. I mean, he's got the acting chops to flip it. You know, he could go from villain to hero very, very quickly. You know, he really could. Uh, I think he'd be great in it. I think we're just spending time, you know, with the family, honestly. Um, his mom, his daughter, you know, his, uh, with Sophina and his best friends, you know, how Oscar was around each individual person, you know, each group, uh, each social setting, how, how he was uh, different, and just taking those perspectives and kind of blending it all into one and just, you know, giving my take the best way, the best, the best way I, I could. In the film, the fact that we put the footage up front, that Ryan made the choice to kind of put the live footage up front, you, he sets the tone, you know, he, uh, he, uh, this, this is how it ends, you know, in the beginning. So, somewhere, in the middle, you somehow start to root for this guy that you, you, you want things to change. You, you would hope that his day is going to end differently, but, but it's not. And I think that's, you know, that's just, that just shows how powerful the writing is and, and, and the storytelling, you know, that you can get somebody to actually want something different to happen. Number two. And that is the story that this movie's about. It's a complex look at a victim of police violence that's not at all preachy. What I mean by that is we don't get a movie set up to show us that Mr. Oscar Grant is some kind of modern day saint. Like he is just a squeaky clean guy and that what happened to him was just out of the blue. You know, not that he deserved anything, but it's not a we're not it's not painted as if it's just black and white. You know, there's a lot of gray in the middle. He is a human being and he has flaws and he has strengths. And I think this film does a great job of showing those, you know, and we get a lot of that, especially through the great performance of Michael B. Jordan. So it doesn't try to, one, shove police brutality down our throat, but it also doesn't try to, you know, make the victim out to be a saint. It just shows, hey, this is the story. The story yeah. as it happened. This is who this person is. As Matt said oh, earlier. As a human. I'm yeah. Not, it's, he's not just like, like, oh, well, he's a drug addict. He did this. Yeah. He did that. It just shows who he is. Now, he has flaws. He did go to prison. He's had trouble. He's trying to get his life together. That is any human being in the fucking yeah, we've world. Yeah, we've all, no, none of us are perfect. It is so good because of how relatable they make it and how human they make him. Because none of us are perfect. We all want to make change and be better. If you're, you know, unless you're a complete and total narcissist, and then you're like, then no, that doesn't apply to you. But he's also 22. Yeah. None of young. us make good decisions no. in our early 20s. No. None of us. He's I mean, four years out of high school. Ever back then. And yeah, it, it shows him, it just, it, it, it's so grounded and like shows him with his family, shows him with his his daughter shows him with his girlfriend shows him with the way he interacts with strangers and his friends it's like it it could be anybody's life you know the saddest thing about it is is this is way too common of a day in an african-american male's life can turn this way yes on, on a dime yeah on a dime it also shows the precariousness of what black males have to go through on a day-to-day basis as yeah. in Sometimes, if any altercation of any kind that they find themselves in could lead to, you know, tragic events, tragic yeah. events so quickly. And yet, what I do like about this film also is that it doesn't try to then also just paint the police as the villains. We don't, we don't get to learn about 
anything about the police officers involved. Nothing. We don't have these um, gratuitous scenes of like the police harassing him throughout the day to just build up the fact that the police do these things. We get to walk through the day with him knowing that the events that are going to happen, if you know you know the true story, knowing that how's it going to end, but not knowing how it all came about and how we got there. And so I like the fact that they, you know, some movies might try to paint that, well, we've got to at least have him have like one or two altercations with the police to show just how brutal they are to him. You know, they didn't, they didn't try to paint it one way or the other. He just told the story as it unveiled in that last day on Earth. And he didn't try to hide the gentleman's past. No, not at all. It could have done that too. It could have been very preachy. It was like, yep. you know, take away the stigma. Ryan Cooler told a very honest story. It wasn't afraid to show that this gentleman had flaws, but also that this gentleman was 22 and was also trying to better himself. And that sometimes Absolutely. we either surround ourselves with the wrong people or we get ourselves in the situations we wish we didn't. But I think what he also wanted to show is that the same situation that a white male gets into would end differently than what a black male gets into. And that's where the real eye-opening thing becomes where a simple altercation that happens and we're going to talk about led to someone's death, something simple. And I've seen a lot of, especially during the Black Lives Matter movement in the early summer of last year, there was a lot of posts throughout social media just showing that this person was killed doing this while being black, killed sleeping while being black, you know, and it just seems like a lot of things is, the lot of things that happen in our country where police and race relations happen is a lot of our fellow black civilians are being killed just because they are black. And that is just a fact. And for people who can't understand that, go ahead and look at what, you know, some of the murders are. Breonna Taylor was killed while sleeping while being black. And that's absolutely insane to think about. That just because you are a certain skin color in this country, that that skin color is almost a death sentence when the police show up, no matter what you're doing. You could be eating popcorn and get shot for being black. Oh, yeah. Like, the difference between... Like the African American male my age and myself getting pulled over, like, could be uh end of their life. It could be a, the, a simple traffic infraction, or you know, even just being pulled over by a dick cop that's having a bad day could go quickly awry for them, just based on being profiled. Because of the way, because of their look and and, and, and the, the color of their skin, it's bullshit. And a lot of people in this in the U.S. do not understand that or believe that it's a fucking real thing. And that's why these people need to educate themselves. And well, if after the events of the last seven months don't show you, you have peaceful protesters in D.C. People they are willing to pull guns on them, pepper spray, do anything mm-hmm. you can. And yet these same white people walk up onto the Capitol and bust into the Capitol. And only one person is shot and killed from that. Imagine if the color of their skin of those people was black. Imagine how quickly the police force and army would have descended on Washington, D.C. How quickly there would be more than one person dead. Oh, yeah. And for anyone who doesn't believe that... You've buried your head in your own ass, and you're just a fucking idiot, and there's no time for you and your stupidity anymore, all right? You're a fucking idiot. You're a piece of shit, and you don't belong in this country anymore. I'm sorry. This country was not started by white people. You're a traitor. You're a fucking traitor.
you're a traitor and yeah like 100 percent, yeah like if that type of interaction happened during the peaceful protest that happened over the summer it would have been a, a fucking massacre it would be going down in history as like the capital the 2020 capital massacre to bring it back it's two other really really good things and one that i think an amazing well-known director took a nod from and used also is the way this film opens with the actual footage of the shooting parlays really well into the way mr spike lee ended black klansman with showing footage of now what's going on in the u.s and what has been going on for the last couple of years with white supremacists and fringe groups and the alt-right i feel like he definitely watched ryan and seen the effect that that has on you you've seen that before you get thrown into this man's life like it's it's jarring but it's jarring in a way that it needs to like it needs to do that to you it needs to knock you into into focusing on the reason why you are watching this film because you're you're watching it for a very specific reason this man you know lost his life in a situation that he, he shouldn't have like he should have been gone home that night simply but it didn't happen that way i took it as ryan coogler showing you here's what you here's what you've seen and here's what you know now i'm going to show you how it all really happened we'll come back to what you've seen you just know the events as what you know from the moment that someone started recording until the event ended and you know what you've heard but you don't know how we got here and so i'm going to show you the the last 24 hours of this young man's life so you can get a real picture of who oscar is instead of just it being a news headline or a news article where we go oh so and so was choked out or killed this and that you know like we don't know george floyd we know we started to learn of him, but we have no idea what his day was like that day, you know, or what he was doing before that or how he is, you know, we, we've heard from other people. But, you know, like if we just went with what we saw on that day, many people are going to make their their own observations. But what I loved that what Ryan did is he kind of gave us the glimpse of what we'd seen. Like, look, you've seen the TMZ kind of footage. You've seen the, you know, the, ooh, the shocking stuff. Why don't we find out who this person really was? And then you can make a judgment on what happened. You know, and I, I like that about this film. Yeah. Is that, yeah, we get, you know, he kind of goes, oh, did you remember this? And you go, oh, shit. And he goes, well, now let's find out what really happened and how it happened. And let's not. Yeah, like what led to this. Exactly. The other thing, too, with that is, you know, they actually, the scene take uh, taking place at the station. They filmed it at the actual station. And Michael B. Jordan was actually to add just more gravity to the situation of him acting as Oscar Grant. As he was actually lying where there still is the bullet hole from him being shot, which is just, that's fucking intense. I was actually quite surprised that they were able to shoot, you know, at the place, you know. You know I thought they'd like use a set or someplace else, but yeah, the fact that they're actually, yeah, pretty impressive. And it was kind of known for me that I wanted to do a feature back home in the Bay Area, you know, and about something that was, something that was important to me. And um, I went into film school in 2000, 2008, and, and you know, Oscar Oscar was killed, you know, the first day of 2009. So, so Around that time, I got the idea that, that that was maybe what I wanted to make a film about. Um, so, so that was why, why that why that project in particular it was the most important, you know, thing to me. It was really it was really accurate versus cinematic. Um, you know, and, and, and the accuracy part, part of it was, was was fairly you know was, was fairly was fairly easy because we had so much information about what happened with him that 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 day because of the, because of the trial you know because he was basically around other people all the time. Um, ran in the times where it was where there were gaps in time where Oscar was by himself. 
and you know you have to, you have to go on kind of what he shared and what, you know what he, what he told his loved ones when he when he, when he showed them letter that day. Um, the, the thing that does bump into bump into issues is is, is just financially. You know what I mean? Like because because each each speaking character costs costs money and each location costs money. You know, so so those things were where where bumped in where some characters got cut out or some characters got combined. You know. Mm -hmm. And that is the supermarket sequence. And this is what we were just kind of talking about of how we actually get to know who Oscar is. And it's all set up in this very short but yet very well acted and pretty dramatic scene of Oscar goes to the grocery store that he, as everyone else thinks, still works at. And as we learn in the film, in the scene, he's been let go for not showing up for being late. His buddy or best friend is behind the counter, so he's there because the day, you know, New Year's Day, or New Year's Eve, I should say, day, is his mom's birthday. So he's there to grab um, some seafood for a get-together that they're going to have that evening before they all go out and celebrate New Year's Eve. And so his buddy works behind the counter at the meat counter. And so we first get to have this great little back and forth with his friend and you know we kind of kind of get to see him and you know that their relationship and you know as friends are you know busting balls and chops and just you know talking and it's really great and then a young woman comes up and she is trying to buy seafood as well because she's gonna she wants to fry a fish and then she starts to ask some questions you could tell she's never fried fish before and yet these two gentlemen know you know frying fish like it's the back of their hand they're pretty well versed in it and she, you know she starts asking questions and he starts to be really friendly with her and at first you think okay he's trying to hit on her but he really wasn't you know at first even i assumed that oh he's hitting on her but he actually is really helpful with her and he even calls his grandmother he calls his grandmother and gives this girl he's never met his phone so she can talk to his grandmother because she's going to help her decide what fish to fry and how to fry it. Which, how many fucking people do you know do that? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's the sweetest gesture in the world. So you having a fish fry for New Year's or something? Uh, yeah, something like that. Well, I work here. I can help you figure it out. It's my, it's my day off. Um... Well, I'm, I'm cooking for a friend tonight before we go to the city, and he loves fried fish, like southern style and... Southern? Um, you sound like he's black. No, he's white, but he knows a lot of black people, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know what I got myself into. Hello? Grandma? Oscar, how you doing, baby? None, I'm at work, and I got this. You girl. at work? Y yeah, Grandma. Bye. No, 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 Grandma, 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 it's my day off. All right, I'm shopping for the party tonight. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. I thought you were playing on the phone. Oh, no, Grandma. But I do have this customer here, and she wants to have a fish fry, but she don't know how. You think you tell her everything she needs to know? Oh, no problem, baby. What kind of fish does she want to fry? Grandma, she don't know. She don't know what kind of fish she wants to fry? <laughs> Nah, Grandma, nah. Put her on the phone. What's her name? Grandma Bonnie. Hi, Grandma Bonnie. <laughs> right there, bro. Katie, nice to meet you. And so now we've seen him with his friend. Now we see him as a sweet guy. And even his, you know, love for his grandmother, because he's really sweet with her on the phone. Now his boss comes, and he walks and talks with him. And while he's walking and talking with his boss, he's literally begging for his job back and trying to plead with the guy. And the guy is kind of like, you know, look, 
I can appreciate your struggles, but dude, you're not reliable. You're never on time or you don't show up. So I can't get, we already hired somebody else. So I can't give you a job back that there's no position for. And it's the first time we get to see Oscar in his, I want to say almost like the way he was maybe in prison, which they, they do get to and we'll get to in a little bit. His, you know, he kind of is like not backing down, almost trying to intimidate the boss. So we see a whole other side of him. 10 seconds earlier, he's the nicest guy in the world, handing the phone to his this girl to talk to his grandmother, who neither of them have met before. He goes to talk to this guy, and then he's, you know, desperately trying to get something back because he needs it so he can help support his wife, his girlfriend, I should say, and their daughter. And yet he's not getting anywhere with it. And so he just tries to, you know, you see a whole other side of him, almost like a darker side of Oscar, which is kind of what ends up getting him into the predicament that he eventually gets into um, because of not wanting to back down, you know, basically just not going to, you know, step back to anybody. Oscar, what's going on? I had to pick up some stuff for my mom's birthday. Hope you found everything you need. Yeah, uh, I just want to talk to you for a second. It's a little nuts right now, holiday and all. Look, I want to talk about my job. The position's been filled. Look, look, I mean, I, I, look, I really need this job, all right? I was going through some shit before trying to get back on my feet, you feel me? But I need this. You can start me off with one shift a week or whatever. I'll be here working 40 hours, only payments for 20. Dude, I hired somebody else. For me to bring you back, that means I have to let someone else go. Someone who's never showed up late once. I'm sorry. I like you, man, but I can't do I need do. this fucking job, bruh. You want me selling dope, bruh? Oscar. You need me outside waiting for you to get done, bruh? You take care of yourself. Hey! <laughs> I'm an expert now. <laughs> so you got everything you need? I've got everything. Thank you. No problem. So he doesn't get his job back, but then he goes back. The you know, the girls all helped out, and he like he switches his attitude again. And his buddy's like, "Oh, you know." So I was going. He goes, "Man, I start back next week." Basically lying to his friend, you know, like almost embarrassed. So we saw a lot of who this person is and the and the complexity of his life, and why that's a great scene is every single one of us has been through moments like this where we wear a mask to kind of hide our insecurities or different things about us that other people don't know. And yet in moments we can be one person and then we can be nice. And yet if we fit our backs against the wall, we can show our fangs. And then, you know, to hide the fact that we, you know, have failed at something, we'll, we'll lie, lie through our teeth so that we don't feel embarrassed. You know, all of this was unbelievably acted by Michael B. Jordan in that scene. Just absolutely, you felt every single moment. Like, I felt like we were watching a documentary. That's how good he was. I felt like we were actually getting real life reactions from this guy as he went through the scene. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It's so, like, natural. It's such, like, a, like, just, it really does. It feels like you're just watching, like, it actually, the date in Oscar's life of him just talking with, her and calling his grandmother and then dealing with you know his friend working and his boss and it's heartbreaking seeing him talk to his boss regarding uh his job and ask for it back we've all had that moment in life where you <laughs> yes, fuck up we have. at a job and you have to go have that conversation of like oh man i fucked up and it really is it's like you're crawling back but you need it you know he has a family to support and he's trying to make it like do good. He really is like he's, you know, he gets up in the morning with, you know, 
what's his resolution going to be? He's going to change. He's going to stop. Uh, his biggest thing is he wants to stop selling uh, weed, which is like, again, the, back to one of the issues that they had with him after he was killed was, oh, he was a drug dealer. Fuck that shit. Was he dealing drugs when this shit happened? Was he doing anything illegal? No. It has nothing to do with why he was shot. But yeah, he's he was trying to make good and change in his life. And you can see it here. And we've all been there and felt that when you're like really trying to make change. And you're going at somebody that you know you screwed over or fucked and, you know, messed up. It's not a good feeling. And man, it's, it's, it's tough to watch it to see yeah. him just, you know, get down to that level of just like literally he's begging for them to just take him back there while just still being this amazing person. Well, it's one of those things where it's, it's a learning experience for him. You know, yeah. obviously there's no way anyone in that scene, you know, in that real day knows what's going to happen at the end of that day. You know, no one could ever foresee. And even regardless, his boss gave him the job back or not, those events probably weren't going to change. Yeah. But it's him realizing that, you know what, he is still fucking up. You know, he, he still is, He's still young. He's still making dumb, yep. you know, decisions, and it's start, he's starting to realize. Look, I've got to get my shit together because yeah. I, I have a little girl who's a little to girl. Me. I've got to provide, you know, you know a girlfriend that he wants to marry. Yeah, that he's like, I'm gonna fuck up and I'm gonna lose them if I don't change my shit right now. The other thing too about uh, Miss O'Reilly's performance in the scene is just in her facial mannerisms and reaction to him. At first, she is so put off initially by him. And it does, it subtly shows the way that most white men and women would respond to a black male in a store offering help. That's not working there. Yeah, you're probably right. Although I have had an experience many times where I have found that black people are far more friendly and far more open and far more forward towards me or anyone in general when it comes to, you know, just your day-to-day in dealings in society. I've gotten so many cold shoulders from people with the same skin color as me. So many cold shoulders. Like, not even a glance on the street when I walk by. However, I would say 95% of the time, if I pass anyone of color, especially black people, they I will get a, a high or a head nod or a way just a, a, just an, an acknowledgement that I'm even fucking there. You know, like I exactly. don't get that from people my own my own race, um, sometimes even my own family. It was a great way to show that you know that just seems to be black culture is a very open and friendly and you know inviting culture of people. And I'll be honest with you, if I had gone through what black Americans have gone through in this country for centuries, it seems, I don't know that I'd be as open to talk to people or even be friendly. You know, I would be completely uh, guarded and not talk to people. So he did a great job of showing how it's a very, very warm and welcoming section of our society that not enough people have uh, opened themselves up to, to getting to know and allowing themselves to be welcomed into. And I love how that girl does, you know, I mean, he calls his grandmother for God's sakes. I, I tell you right now, I could not call my grandmother and have her talk to somebody she doesn't know. Hell, they don't. Even, my grandparents don't even want to answer the fucking phone. 
So and they unplugged that. You know, they just unplugged like, it. They're thinking every phone call is a fucking scam. Or <laughs> yeah, something. they're like, this person's <laughs> so, gonna steal my yeah. identity. I'm not answering. They're not giving up some kind of family fucking secret and how yeah. to cook something. My grandma, so, on the other hand, she answers the phone for everyone and she just gives them all the information they need. What you want my social? Okay. Oh yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I just bought a whole bunch <laughs> of Buccaneer Super Bowl stuff thanks to her. So she's yeah. very good on the phone. <laughs> she's so great. She's so nice and sweet. She even probably mailed you cookies afterwards. But this is probably my favorite scene, and it's short, but it's my favorite scene in the film. It finally gives us a humanized picture of a victim. And instead of it being like, well, oh, well, he did this and he did that. And, oh, well, the reason he got shot is because he did something wrong 20 years ago or 10 weeks ago. You know, it's bullshit. That'd be like some kid getting shot. Well, he's a shoplifter from way back. He deserved it. Get the fuck out of here. I'm so tired of the first thing that people go to, especially when it's police violence against black people, is they look for something in the black person's past to say, aha, that's why it's okay. You look for a realistic reason to say, this is why it's okay that, that he died, which is complete bullshit. And I bet if you dug into your past, there's a lot of skeletons you wouldn't want to bring forward or other family members wouldn't want to bring forward. It does not give anyone the right to take your life for it. Unless this person is some kind of pedophile, then, you know, I'm on the same side of the street as you. Then, yeah, feel free to shoot them all you want. But if they're anything shy of that, they're just a human being who's made mistakes, their past indiscretions don't equate to being executed because of who you think they are. And I think this movie finally, hopefully, will open your eyes to everybody is, it really, we all have similar experiences. So it's not just such a cut and dry, like, well, he's a black kid from Oakland, California, so he's got to be some kind of gangster or thug or drug dealer. And I guess, you know, he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing because, you know, black people aren't allowed to be out on New Year's Eve, apparently. And, you know, he should have just mind his P's and Q's and he wouldn't have got shot. Yeah. Usually... The storyline that we're fed, or the yeah. news feeds, oh, yeah. especially in certain sections, to keep people something, something to deflect and blame, which is just it's ridiculous, and it shows the mindset of the media and the way people take in these tragic, the way a lot of people take in these tragic events is like they're looking for instead of looking for into the the situation, why this happened, why is there some uh, a man dead, why did this just travesty get committed by a police force like instead of waiting and looking into that you know anybody that was back there to judge it and judged him based on his life prior to dying at the hands of uh this police officer this police officer was charged with murder like if they're able to charge you with murder that shows pretty much that they were able to prove that you murdered somebody and you have a fucking badge and just because you have your badge doesn't make it so that it's not fucking murder when you kill someone. You know, if you go out and shoot somebody in the street and you're arrested and immediately charged with murder, why do we not have the correct just policies in place to overlook and oversee the use of force quickly so that these incidences don't continue to reoccur at a just insane astronomic level that is just it, it doesn't make sense um and it needs to change well to be completely transparent just like the film is we're going to now go to the fourth reason you should watch this movie number four and that is the prison visit sequence so in the film we do a flashback so we kind of get an idea of what happened to mr oscar graham this is probably about two years prior 
to the events of January 1st that happened in the film. He has been sent in, he's been gone, sent back to San Quentin. This is probably his second, maybe, maybe second time, I'm thinking. He's been sent for a couple of months, maybe even a year for, they don't really say, but I'm assuming some kind of drug or gang incident. And while he's there, Octavia Spencer comes to see him. And it's, again, it's another powerful scene for him because once again, we get to see the the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde version of his personality when put to the test by the elements of society. And look, this is not just a black person thing. Anybody in that age group, when you're young, you have this need and desire that if anyone challenges you for some reason, you feel like you now have to stand up and prove that you're a man. Now, what I mean by that is while he is sitting there talking with his mom, some other prisoner, uh, looked like a white guy, um, comes in and starts talking shit about his mom and then calls him a rat. And this causes almost a fight between the two men in the visitor room. And he instantly, he goes from being like this real sweet mama's boy to instant like he's ready to go. He's gonna, he's ready to kill this dude in front of his mom if necessary. And it doesn't shock Octavia. Like, I think it pisses her off because she is seeing her son and she is seeing him throwing shit away, his life away. And she basically tells him that. She's saying, you know, your daughter needs you. She is, I'm getting tired of telling her that you're on vacation or something like that, whatever they tell her. She's basically telling him, you need to get your shit together. You need to grow the fuck up. This is enough. And she tells him, this is the last time I come see you. I'm not seeing you anymore. You need to get your shit together and I'll see you when you get home kind of thing. And it's one of those moments where it's, it's odd because he goes from being a nice mother's, mama's boy to being ready to fucking just beat the tar out of this fucking guy to then all of a sudden being like he's like a little boy again and being scolded by his mom. This mom's right here? She a snitch too. The fuck you say about my mom's, bro? Fuck you and this bitch. Yeah, you talking real tough in here with these guards. I'm gonna see your bitch ass on the outside, bro. Bitch ass Palmacia, yeah. nigga. Bitch ass motherfucker. <laughs> fuck DG. Is there a oh, problem fuck you, here? dog? Is there a problem here? Now we good. Yeah, we good for now. Yeah. Calm down. Calm down. Oscar. What happened to your face? Dark butter. She always listening. Two damn smartphone, good. Preschool said we should think about starting her in school early. She didn't tell you that. Yeah, we'll put her in a private school. Uniforms. I was looking at St. Beat the other day, and they, you know, they got this new thing where they start them off speaking Spanish and they put them back on English. I'm not coming here anymore. What? I'm not coming here for these visits anymore. This is my last time. I know, I know, I know. I know this is the last time for me, too. I, I told you that I ain't going down no more. keep putting Sophina through this and you go right ahead, okay? But Tatiana, that baby doesn't deserve this, Oscar. She's young knows going on. So I guess that's why she asked me why you love taking your vacations more than you like being with her. She ain't say that. Oh, so I'm a liar now. Come on, you gotta tell her I love her. Tell her, tell her I ain't never gonna tell leave her. Tell her yourself. The next time you call home, you tell her yourself. Or better yet, let her come visit you here. Yeah, but I don't. She don't need to be exposed. You already one. exposed it. You already exposed it to this. So you gonna leave me? 
You gonna leave me again? What kind of mom is you? You gonna fuck around and leave me in here? You ain't never had my fucking back anyway. I'm in here by myself. I love you, Austin. Man, you don't love nothing. I do. And I'm praying for you. I'll see you when you get home. Hey, ma, hold up. Let me get a hug, ma. Grant. Hey, ma, I can't get Back a hug. Back to the visiting area, Grant. Hey, ma, I'm sorry, Grant. ma. Fuck out of here. Ma, I'm sorry. Let me just get a hug, ma. Ma, let me just get a hug, ma. Hey, ma, I'm sorry. Fuck off me. Fuck off me. Hey, what? I'm sorry. Ma, I'm sorry. Uh, he starts to get really upset because... You know, she, she's serious, and he doesn't want to be alone. Like, yeah. as tough as he's acting, he really has fear of being alone, not seeing her again. Yeah. And she kind of walks away from him and won't give him a hug. And he literally gets into a fight with the guards because he just wants yeah. a hug from her. So it was just, like, a huge, I mean, a great acting performance. But, man, it's an incredible scene because, again, it just peels back the real layers of who this person is. It's, it's not just such cut and dry as, like, oh, he's a bad person, isn't it? He made some bad mistakes. And, you know, his mom is doing everything she can. And it wasn't until, like, she finally goes, look, you have this. That You don't do this. None of us are coming to see you anymore. And I'm not lying to her anymore. You know what I mean? So it's all these, these great moments of her just showing this complete strength yeah and it's a, a roller coaster for him to go through you know from having this you know he gets out of this meeting with her to then having this confrontation with this uh this asshole that's completely antagonizing as in antagonize the situation to then her leaving and saying that she's never coming back like the roller coaster that he just gets put through of you know happiness to having to, you know, defend himself in a situation to then just having his, his, a little bit of, of normalcy uh, from his outside world that's coming into him, just crushing and, and saying, like, no, this, I'm not coming back here. It's, it's hard. It's a tough watch. And it's hard to see him go through that. It's played so fantastically by both him and Octavia are, are fantastic together. I mean, she is just like stone cold. Like she is, she shows the strength and resilience of like a military general in this scene. Like no matter his crying, like she has walled herself off from, you know, maybe being allowed to. Yeah, she doesn't uh, even look show back. Remo you know, like show like some kind of like sadness for him or empathy. She's like, I've had enough. Like this is like the second time you've been in. And it's almost like, look, this, if this is going to be your life, you're just going to keep coming in and out of jail. Now, I really don't want a whole lot to do with you. You've got a daughter to kind of take care of. It's time, you know. She doesn't. She's not even bothered by what the dude said. And he says something like, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> something you wouldn't say in front of other people's mom. Something like that. She sucked dick or something. It was something along those lines. I forget because it fucking set him off fast. And she doesn't even fucking pay any mind, you know. She is so, one, secure with who she is. Two, knowing that whoever this piece of shit is talking is in fucking prison. He means nothing to me. In five minutes, I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk outside. He's going back to try not to get raped in the butt and killed. We're not on the same playing field. You can talk all the shit you want. I'm the one breathing free air. You're the one stuck in here. She is just yeah. completely, uh, you know, shows like real resilience and real strength and r real toughness is. And it was impressive. I mean, she does a great job in that scene. Oh, yeah. She does an absolutely fantastic job in that scene. The way that she just walks away and doesn't look back. She's just just walking. Ugh, it hurts. It no hurts sadness. So no sadness. Nothing. No sympathy. Nothing. No, she, she's just She's dumb. had enough. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's horrible. It's tough. Could you, uh, could you imagine uh, going through that feeling, seeing the disappointment that you put into the someone that means the most to you that brought you into this world? Well, I mean, she she's basically showing him, look, I've had enough. I'm tired of seeing my son in prison. You need to get out 
and you need to get your shit together and you need to stay out. You know what I mean? She, she gave him real tough love in that scene, real tough love. And it's one of it's that tough love that I think helps guide him to stay on the straight and narrow and make some of the decisions he makes at, you know, the last part of his days, you know, to stop smelling drugs, to, to get out of that, to really put forth an effort to do whatever he can, you know, to stop messing around with other women and, you know, basically trying to fuck up his life. He's now at 22, which is still young, you know, no doubt about it. At 22, he is now trying to make a real concerted effort to better himself in whatever way he possibly can because he has a daughter and a wife, or I'm sorry, a girlfriend that he wants to, you know, take care of. But he also wants to, you know, he wants his mom to be proud of him as well. Now, my question for you, Matt, is... How would you have handled the dude talking shit about your mother while she's sitting right there? Would you have? <laughs> I don't same, know what it same is. Same reaction. Uh, uh, yeah. you, can't, you can't let that. You can't just let that slide. You know, I think my reaction would have been, it would have been measured. It wouldn't have been as explosive. Yeah, but it, it was been, explosive. It would have been the minute, the minute I catch you alone. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. I'm, I'm breaking your fucking jaw. Like the yeah, minute I'm I catch you alone. This. You're in fuck. Yeah, you're fucked. Like right now, I'm not gonna give anyone any kind of. Mm-hmm. I'll let my mom think. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm fucking you up the minute I get a chance to get you alone. So, yeah. Yeah. which which would only piss off if Octavia's my mother. It's only gonna piss yeah. off more that did that. But yeah. I don't know. There's just like an unspoken rule, you know. Especially especially at 22, maybe now oh, at yeah. 45, I would let it slide off. And because I'm older now, I'm like yeah, whatever, you know. If you want to, my mom's 70, if almost. If you want to bang my mom at 70? Good for her. You know what I mean? She still yeah. got it. My dad's passed, so she maybe she needs some action <laughs> at this point. You know what I mean? Like if you wanna, you know, I I wouldn't. React like it would. I know my son at 18 would fly off the fucking handle, fly off yeah. the fucking handle immediately. So I, I get it, but as you get, yeah, you know, I think with age you come as to you get older, you start to realize. Yeah, it's just it's fucking words. Like, <laughs> you know, like if someone says, "Oh, your mom sucks dick out behind the school," like one, you know, your mom's say you're not calling up, go, "Mom, I, I hear, I heard falling on hard times." Like Joe at the hardware store, so he's, he's sucking dick behind the elementary school. Yeah. I didn't know you this, needed help. This with Nazi money, in you know? prison said this shit about you. Like, yeah, I really believe him. But it's it's a really it really is a, a fantastic scene. But it's a great scene because it puts it in, so we do get to see the backstory. He doesn't pretend that there aren't flaws. You know, this movie shows the his strengths and flaws. It just does. It doesn't pretend that Oscar Grant was a saint. He's not. But no one is. No one gets out of this life clean. Everyone's done stuff that they're embarrassed about or wish they didn't do. You know, we all do it. It's just part of being human. And I love that that he doesn't try to you know whitewash it or make it feel like you know well you know he's just this innocent kid who's never had any you know it's not a human story you know like it's not it's not reality we all know but it's great that we finally get to actually see what the victim was really like as opposed to what the news and certain police departments stuff like the paint you know all of a sudden oh it's a black man shot well we know we did wrong but here let's go grab his mug shot and show all these things that completely suddenly take away from the fact that he was innocently killed kudos to this movie being able to tell us the story and get us us to get to know oscar as a person and not just as another statistic or whatever spin whichever news side wants to cycle it through to us yeah no absolutely i 100 percent agree this that's exactly what this is meant for is to show us the, the the full story of what what happened leading up to it and we can't finish the story without our fifth and final reason number five and that is the incident sequence. There is zero spoiler here. If you don't know what this is, what Fruitvale happened, then I, I don't know. You look it up. 
it's a story about the movie is like um it's a bit like once upon a time in hollywood there is an incident that once upon a time in hollywood is angling to and that is the murder of shannon tate and her friends at their house that happened in 1969 sharon did i say shannon sorry sharon Sharon tate my bad sharon tate Although, if you've seen the movie, you know how it goes. A little bit of revisionist history. But the whole time we sit there in that theater watching these two other people go through life and even Sharon. And then knowing that eventually we're going to get to this this climax. This is the same kind of thing in this movie. I mean, he shows it right in the beginning of the movie. The very first thing he shows is the actual footage. And then we jump in and we get to learn about Mr. Oscar Grant. So we go on this ride, always knowing, which is kind of a bit of a impending doom hanging on you, because you do know that as you start to get to like Oscar and his family, that you know at the end, you're like, shit. You know, it's like we know how this is unfortunately going to end, and you kind of wish it didn't. They drop their daughter off to hang out with their cousins as they celebrate New Year's Eve without some friends. They leave Oakland. They take a train into San Francisco. They enjoy the festivities like every human being likes to do. I mean, especially when you're in California, and it's not like sub-zero temperatures outside, so you can actually enjoy the countdown and fireworks. And on the way back, he runs into the girl he helped at the supermarket on the train, and she calls his name out. And when she does, and he says, hey, someone knows his name as well on the train. And it wasn't the same guy. So it's someone else who he had a run in, whether it's someone from a different part of town, maybe a gang or something like that. We never really get the full length of it. But all of a sudden, a fight ensues on the train. They stop at a station, Fruitville Station, and everyone gets off. Well, obviously, there had been something radioed ahead, so the tram police. Yeah, the Metro police. The BART, yeah. They show up, and it's... A really tall white guy and a girl, white girl, maybe Hispanic woman. I think she was white. She had darker hair, and I couldn't tell because she's not in it much, and so much chaos is happening at this point. I'll be honest with you. I thought the man who was the responsible for killing him was the tall guy. He was a piece of shit right off the bat. He's a very inst- – he's an instigator, and he's – yeah, he's a big yeah. uh, piece of shit, just douchebag. Yep. Very much on a power trip. You know, this is – a regular thing for him. It's not like this is not how he just approached this situation. I'm sure he's approached every situation he's had to get a call to like this. But they can't arrest us. We ain't do shit. What's that? I said we ain't do shit. Y'all can't fucking arrest us. Oh, yeah? Cuff these two assholes that are going to jail. But fucking what? You can't arrest him. How about that? Get on your knees. I'm not fucking arrest him. Get on your knees. Now. Get on your knees. I'm just trying to get home. Get on Feel me? We just trying to get home. We just trying to get home. Be cool, man. Maybe you should have thought about that before you started acting like a punk ass bitch. Don't come up no bitch. Bitch ass nigga, for real. Did you call me a bitch ass nigga? Don't fucking say that. Bitch ass nigga? Huh? And that kind of led me to a question I wanted to ask you, and I'll preface it by first saying that I was in the military for five years as a military policeman. And 
What has boggled my mind over the years, especially since being in the military and seeing the rash number of shootings that are now being recorded and reported. So I don't want to pretend like it just suddenly started. This has probably been going on for a very long time. We just didn't know about it. Now we're starting to. What is surprising is that it seems like police forces have absolutely the worst training across the country. There's not a single police force that has good training. It feels like it's a shoot first, ask questions later. Yep. Protect your own. When I was in the military, I was not allowed to what we call break leather or pull my weapon out unless I went through like 12 steps. It had to be life or death. Someone had to have a weapon and was either threatening my life or someone else's life for me to pull my weapon out. Obviously not during war, but when I was patrolling back on the base. Yeah, but even then during war, you need rules of engagement. So exactly. it's even like still there, you have a yep. stopping point. So our first tactic was to use our voice and to try to de-escalate a situation. I'm going to say that again, just in case in the off chance that any of our listeners, one, are thinking about a career in law, two, are in a career in law enforcement, or three, I don't know, want to play cops in a movie or something. De-escalation is the number one priority of a police officer. You are to show up to a scene and de-escalate it, not escalate it which if you see the movie, is escalated almost fucking instantly. No one uses their voice. Never trying. Yes. He's not talking. He's screaming at people. Yeah. There's nothing about de-escalating. No. Not de-escalating a fucking He's not attempted at all. He is pissed and coming in hot. It's like, to compare it to the military, it's like a drill sergeant coming in and screaming at everybody. He was so upset, you would have thought he was banging that yeah. girl as his partner, and they interrupted this. And now he's like, I was about, and I got blue balls, so now someone's got to pay. No de escalation. If you couldn't de escalate a situation, and sometimes you can't, but it wasn't because you were escalating it, as, as your voice was not enough, and they started to get a little more aggressive. There is a thousand, other, well, I shouldn't say a thousand, but a whole bunch of other things we were told to do. There is hand-to-hand self-defense, if necessary. There is pepper spray. There's a whole bunch of things. Grabbing your weapon is never the first option, let alone really a viable option when you're in the military police. You pull your weapon there, it better be a good fucking reason. Because in the military police, you also have the opportunity of having conflict with people who are higher rank than you. <laughs> there used to be a guy who was with, I'm surprised he didn't get court-martialed or kicked out, but he used to like <laughs> to say his big thing was he would like to tell um, officers who would give him lip, he would say, sir, don't get your rank confused with my authority. <laughs> so he would like to walk the fucking fine line. But that being said, <laughs> pulling your weapon on somebody was not a thing you did. And so I just assumed that that's the way all police forces were trained is that, you know, obviously the military took from the police world and that's how people were trained. And so every time I would see an officer shooting somebody, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, why is this the first thing? Who's showing up to a traffic stop with their gun already drawn? If you're that fucking scared, if you're that big of a pussy, if the sight of a person that's different color skin than you makes you instantly have to grab for a weapon, you should not be a police officer. You should not be allowed to get a gun or a fucking badge at all. And this is what happened on that night is you got guys rushing in without a single tactic of de-escalation, looking to just escalate it, going in scared. You don't show up to something scared. You can smell fucking fear. All right. Most of the time, if you show up to an incident and you're not involved in it and you're asking questions, people want to tell you their side of the story. Have you ever talked to somebody after a fight? They can't stop 
fucking shutting up about the yeah. fight. They will yeah. tell you every. They'll literally incriminate themselves about the fight. Yeah. They'll tell you, yeah. oh, "I punched this bitch in the face," and this mother. They're gonna tell you everything. All you gotta do is listen and calm them down and just get them all separated from each other. You don't need to come in, fucking Johnny Big Balls, looking to sling racial slurs as soon as you possibly can, and just start cuffing and throwing black people to the ground. Yeah, that exactly. escalates that's, the that's fucking all situation. They did was they just created? Yeah, they created chaos. They take, you know, they single out Oscar and his friends, cuff them and throw them off the train, commit various acts of brutality against them. Now you have a train car stop filled with people that have all actually witnessed what just happened prior to them arriving. So know that none of this is warranted ever. And now you have them all watching and reacting to it. So they're reacting to the way that these Metro police are using their abuse of power and committing, you know, just horrible uh, acts of, um, of brutality uh, all the way up to committing an act of murder in front of them, you know. So that reaction from them is then feeding into these officers that have never tried to de-escalate this situation at all. And then you have another brand new officer coming in who definitely, you can tell, looks up to the type of officer played by Kevin Durant, Officer Caruso. Uh, well, what ends up happening is, is unfortunately, the officer you're talking about was played by Chad Michael Murray, which is stunning, to be honest with you. I completely forgot he was in the movie. Big jump for him, and Biggest film that he's been in a long time. He shows up, and he's scared. Like, you can tell he's fearful. He's not as big as the other guy. That fans. guy was huge. No. And the girl has to kind of show a little bit of toughness, because look, I mean, women cops can be a little bit tougher, because they have to uh, deal with males who could be bigger than them, so, you know, they sometimes can be overpowered. So I, I get some of the female toughness however this guy comes in he's all fucking scared and he's so scared that they eventually cuff oscar and get him on his stomach and he's still kind of fighting it a bit and so from what the story is from what the cop said during his trial and i somewhat believe it and i will tell you why i believe it it's because the way it's portrayed and i'm going to assume that obviously this is not a white person directing this film this is ryan kugler who's a black male so he's not going to suddenly have chad michael murray the guy who ends up shooting him portrayed anything different than what the reality was. But his testimony said that he didn't mean to reach for his gun. He thought he was grabbing his taser and was going to tase him. One, he's handcuffed. He's on his stomach. What the fuck you got to tase him for? Exactly. That makes no fucking sense. You don't have to tase. He's not going anywhere. He's not going. He's not Houdini. He's, he's not Anton Sugar. He's not getting his legs out and then choking him from behind. All right? If it's Anton Sugar, you tase him and you shoot him. Yes. But you don't shoot this guy and tase him. There's no fucking reason to. So that's mistake number one that he's going to do that. Because he's handcuffed. Like, that, there's no reason. So right off the bat, this guy is scared and shouldn't be a police officer because he shows up to a situation that's volatile. And his first reaction is he thinks everything he's in fear for his life. Well, he accidentally grabs his gun and shoots him. And you can see it in the portrayal of what happens after he shoots him. Like, he's surprised he just shot him. Even though he was convicted of manslaughter. Yeah, he's completely he's he's com- He did not know he shot him. Like, he was, it wasn't like some of the other, some videos we've seen. Again, I don't want anyone to take this as I'm giving this guy any leeway that it's okay what he did. I'm just saying I've seen other videos where it was intentional. Like, they were looking to shoot them. Like, it was yeah, like, this, couldn't this man wait just, to pull the gun. He was scared. He, he yeah, in the moment of panic, grabbed something. A police officer. No. And he shot the guy. Yeah, he and he was totally surprised, like, oh, shit, grabbed the wrong fucking thing. Again, 
don't anyone take this as I'm giving him an ounce of leeway for what he did. I'm just letting you know that it wasn't as intentional as a lot of some of the other ones that we have seen, is all I'm saying. I just don't want it to come out. And then Ryan Coogler is the one who also made the movie, and so obviously there's a lot of uh, realism. Doesn't take away what he did, but you could tell he was scared. He was out of his element and should not be a cop because of his inability uh, he killed a gentleman and then also ruined his own life. Let's be honest. He's no longer a cop. He went to prison for 11 months and for manslaughter. So he will never work in the public sector ever again. And I'm pretty sure he probably had to disappear yeah, from that which, area for safety for his own life. Which, again, that's just insane. First of all, yeah, he. this is a perfect example of somebody that was never meant to carry a gun and have a badge ever and why they need more training and more evaluation before being given such a role of tremendous power. I'm scared. Scared of what? I hear guns outside. You know what, baby? Those just firecrackers. You're safe inside with your cousins. What about you, Daddy? Me? Maybe I'm gonna be fine. I'll tell you what, though. When we wake up in the morning, we're gonna play Candyland. And then guess what we're gonna do after that? Go to the park? Better. Toys R Us? Way better than that. Why? I don't know, maybe Chuck E. Cheese? Really? I promise. Daddy's gonna give you heck of tokens and we're gonna play all the games, okay? And then we're gonna get your favorite pizza and we're gonna eat it all up. Even mommy's cause she can't have carbs. Carp. You ain't gotta worry about that right now. I love you. I love you too, Daddy. It's time to make some lists. All right, so our genre of films list this week is our top five true story adaptations. That's not a book adaptation. These are technically can be a book, but these are adaptations of real life stories. So it is an even week. So that means I get to go first. Matt will finish up this list and start our second list. So my top five story adaptations are as follows. And they were a tough list to come up with because, man, there's quite a few of them out there. And I know that after this, there'll be like 30 other ones like, oh, I should have put them in. But I tried to pick ones that had a lot of heavy weight to them and that uh, kind of impacted me. And my number five is the movie Spotlight about the Boston newspaper spotlight division inside the Boston Herald, I believe it is, who go and look at their basically their job is to spotlight things in the community that are wrong. And they Fantastic. are the ones who came up against the child yeah, the molestation problems with the Catholic Church. And man, it is a powerful movie and it is a sickening movie because it's we're dealing with you know, sexual assault and molestation and the just blatant, blatant cover up from the Boston uh, section of the Catholic Church, but just the Catholic Church as a fucking whole. And well, it's just fucking disgusting. Like, again, if a police officer wants to pull his weapon and shoot the priest who did that, I'm 100% behind them. I That's the time I back the blue. Then I'm good with it because it's disgusting and they deserve it, the fucking pieces of shit that they are. However... This is, it's a fantastic movie, great acting in it, a very tough story to get through, but yet, you know, it's one of those true stories that I'm glad was told because we sometimes need to see the things that are going on in the dark. We can't just always try to turn a blind eye to it. That's why things happen in the dark. My number four is a movie that I still can't believe 
is fucking real. I still can't believe this shit happened. I was unaware that you could rent a plane and have hookers on it from New York City to Vegas. And I'm talking about Wolf of fucking Wall Street. That movie is one of my favorite Scorsese movies. It's one of my favorite Leonardo movies, too. He's amazing in it. It is one of the most insane fucking movies. It's it's a movie on cocaine the entire time. Like, the things that happen. It starts right out from full cocaine through the entire Look, ladies, I'm I'm not going to pretend that as a male, some of the stuff I saw, I wasn't a little envious of. I was like, this is that's a reality. Like that that happened to people. Like this really happened. Don't get me wrong. Some of it was just absolutely just bonkers and disgusting, and I would never want a part of it. But holy shit, is that movie just fucking insane? Insane. I don't know if you saw this the other day, Matt, but the guy that uh, is the lead in that movie, or you know who they're talking about, Jordan, he actually came out and said that he actually backs the people who have been doing the GameStop, the, the GameStop thing. That, GameStop that's awesome. Stuff, yeah, because he's, just, he's, yeah. he did he started with penny stocks, just like I it. know. Like, and it's funny oh. how relevant, yeah, to right now the last couple of weeks is we see all these multi-millionaires crying about losing their head funds when literally it's the game. Working against that, they're upset because what they do every day is being was used against right? them, and they yeah. lost money. All I'm saying, gentlemen, is unless you have a freaky woman in your life, this is not a date movie. All right, and please don't tell your significant other this is your favorite movie. It just says a lot about you, right? It's a great yeah, movie. Yeah, piece of shit. You might add a, 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 a abusive, a drug abuse history. Now, my number three stars also Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio in a. Another great movie that is is as surprising, but not as surprising as like it's not as crazy as Wolf of Wall Street. But it also has a really great performance from Mr. Christopher Walken and also Mr. Tom Hanks, and that is Catch Me If You Can. I absolutely great love movie. the story of Frank Abernathy. It is such a great movie by Spielberg. It is it's one of those movies that I just totally pulls me in every time I fucking see it. I just it's so good. It's still a younger Leonardo DiCaprio too. He's just getting into his he's starting to really spread his wings and he is fantastic in the movie. What it's it's an amazing story. Like it's amazing that this guy was able to do it. But again it's one of those movies that only a white person could have pulled that shit off. Only a white person could have done could have faked going to law school, could fake being a doctor, could fake being a fucking pilot to get free rides. Crazy that he was able to do it. And then in the end uh, you're allowed to work with an FBI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now my last two, they are they are just the kind of movies that make your soul hurt, but they have to be watched. My number two is also a Spielberg movie. It's Schindler's List. And it's a, it's a kind of movie. Even thinking about it now, it's like, man, I don't... Man, it has to... Like, I think I want to watch it again because of how powerful it is. It's been a but long it's one of those movies it's like... You know, you got to have like a good night's sleep before maybe you go jogging. You want to have a lot of endorphins running through your body to start feeling good. So you start to watch this movie as it slowly wears you down to feeling like crap. You know, you want to get to that point. But Schindler's List is phenomenal. It's one of Spielberg's best, if not his best. It has the single greatest use of color in a black and white film. Ever? Oh my God! Yeah. It absolutely. If it's the first time you see it, I'm not gonna say anything, but it fucking floors you. You 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 question like, I don't understand why this is there. You think you understand? You go, oh, okay, I understand what they're doing. And then later on, it fucking just kicks you right in the fucking throat. And you're like, oh my God. So that's all I'm gonna say about Shino's list. If you haven't seen it, you need to. Oh yeah, it's a classic. It is absolutely amazing. 
and my number one we talked about last week. It's become my favorite, 12 Years a Slave. It is an absolutely unbelievable telling. As you may have heard in some of the clips we put in, there were 101 books written about slavery before the Civil War happened. And of those 101 stories that were written, only one involved a man being born free, kidnapped into slavery, and then finding his way back to freedom. If you didn't listen to our podcast last week, you should listen to it. You should see that movie. It will fucking floor you. It, it was just captivating. Uh, the performances, the horrific journey we go on, yet there is a bit of hope at the end, but it is just an amazing, amazing movie. And that's why I put it at my number one. So now, Matt, I'm going to pass it off to you, and I'm actually very interested in see what ones we lined up with or if we all have different ones completely. Yeah, no, uh, we were – it's funny because there's so many on your list that I was thinking about doing, um, and then we do have, I believe, just actually just one that lines up. That's all. Um, That's good. Though, but just one that makes both lists. They don't line up. That will start me off with my number five being uh, the 2019 film The Farewell, uh, loosely uh, based off the actual life of the director and writer Lula Wang um, about her grandmother being given weeks to live um, and the whole family reuniting. Uh, it's a fantastic film that came out last year and was critically acclaimed uh, but didn't quite get as much praise as it should have got um, it's absolutely fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Uh, but that'll bring me to my number four, being the fantastic film that was a book, but is Into the Wild, uh, about the true story of Christopher McKellenless, which every time I watch this, and I've read the book, and it's hard for films to be better than the book, but it is directed so well by Sean Penn and Emil Hirsch. I own the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, the soundtrack from Eddie is Eddie so Vedder, good. Phenomenal. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so angry whenever I think, cause how he did a very limited tour acoustically around the time that the movie came out and God, if I could have traveled back and watched that, that would have been fantastic. I know he doesn't, uh, he does. I, I've seen plenty of Pearl Jam shows since then. And he does, they have never played any of the songs at the concerts I've been at from that album. I, I know it's yeah. a solo, but he's never uh, touched so it. So good. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, I've, you can watch videos of it. It's so great seeing him just go around performing that album. Emil Hirsch oh, just fully embodies uh, Christopher McKenless, AKA Super Tramp. Is that what he just calls himself Super Champs and he loves Super Champs? Yeah, yep. uh, But yeah, oh, so good. It's an amazing story about just a crazy, crazy journey to the Alaskan wilderness. Um, and it's fascinating to watch because it's something that back when I first seen it, when it came out in 2007, it's like, wow, that at 2007, you could never do this. Um, it, it just it isn't possible to go off the grid like this and hitchhike and do all that. Now it's like you would never make it this far. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, that will bring me to my number three being the 2005 fantastic film Capote about Mr. Truman Capote writing in cold blood. Phenomenal movie, obviously. RIP the amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman winning his Oscar for this I know, movie. It's crazy. Crazy. He's no longer yeah, with so us. crazy. So sad gone too soon and he was just amazing but oh my god watching interviews of capote and him there's no difference it's scary like how crazy he embodied uh truman 
Yeah, it's it's a it's an excellent film, and he, I mean, he's a fan. He was an amazing actor. He was great in everything he did. Oh my I, god, you know, yeah, one of those true gems. Just, just even think about silliest movie. One of my favorite what late '90s films. So much fun is Twister. Big Lebowski. Twister. <laughs> no, but yeah, but even in, yeah, in both films. <laughs> Even him in background characters, like not even you can't even consider that a supporting character. Him as Dusty and Twister is so great. <laughs> and then like yes, him as Boogie, Boogie Nights. Oh my god! All every Paul Thomas Anderson film he's ever been, made an appearance in or had a big part in, he's great in all of them. Yeah, like even uh, Punch Drunk Love. Like oh my god, everything. But yeah, he's so so good. And then when he finally got his parts that like this where he could just be the lead character just completely knocked you over with his performance it's insane but that will bring me to my number two which is my only film that matches up with you uh being spotlight spotlight is a tough film to watch but is a necessary film to watch what this group uh, at the boston globe did is amazing work that needed to be done um, and it's amazing that they did it and they need to be shown for what they did because it's, it's something that it, if it wasn't for them you know still every year and every few months here and there we still see pop-ups of like more and more information coming out or people that are still getting hidden by the church and it's it's crazy um, and just the cast of this film what is insane the most insane ensemble they went up against the catholic church in boston a very heavily irish catholic area the catholic church and the boston red sox like hand in hand out there you know what i mean like they went up against a very big institution in that city it may not be as big an institution in other cities but in boston massachusetts full of irish catholics it is a huge institution to go up against it has very much a lot of power and a lot of money in that and influence in that um community and then you don't even know like how much police corruption you don't know how how many people are paid off you know you see it in the film with oh you know oh well he came in for a rape but we didn't fill out a report like what that makes no sense why yeah <laughs> but that'll bring me to my number one being whew, one of the best sports films of all time about mr jake lamada starring robert De Niro and raging bull so we both have scorsese films on here but yeah Raging Bull, fantastic. One of my, again, we both have a black and a different black and white film that's based on a true story. Um, mine doesn't have any color in it though. It would have been interesting <laughs> now if, like, to go back if they only made it would have been very Sin City if you went back and recut Raging Bull so that oh, just the blood was red. <laughs> it would completely change the, um, the the vibe of this film to a very cartoony way. Uh, but it's it's a tremendous film um, and just absolutely tremendous performance from Robert De Niro. One of, I'd say this and Cape Fear are two of my favorite ones of him really stepping kind of out of his like, box that he kind of gets typecast in that we know he's great at playing. But him jumping into these larger-than-life, angry, somewhat evil fucking characters. Like, he is a not a good person in this film and he is definitely not a no, fucking not good person in Cave Fear. But yeah, that'll close out my uh, true story adaptation. So there you go. We have nine films that are different uh, for you to check out. 
And for this week, our actor list is going to be Michael B. Jordan. I'll preface this by saying he's not in a ton of movies, but we wanted to highlight some of those movies so you can go out and see more of him. Um, he feels like he's, you know, and he's in more than just the Amazon commercial. But uh, Matt will start us off, and I will close this out and close out the, the episode. So go ahead, Matt. Give us your top five Michael B. Jordan films. We'll see how many of them we are close on. My number five is Just Mercy, which actually came out in 2019 about him playing uh, the civil rights defense attorney, Brian Stevenson, with Jamie Foxx and Brie Larson. Fantastic, super underrated movie. It's on HBO right now. If you have a chance, watch it. I need to. This is the one I didn't see. It's about him working to uh, free uh, to convict a uh, wrongly convicted death row prisoner uh, played by Jamie Foxx. And just right there. Jamie Foxx and him, like the two of them, Jamie Foxx is a tour de force standing up with this young, amazing actor that is on the road to passing, you know, potentially passing such an amazing career like Jamie has and is still having. Uh, It's just, it's an awesome, awesome performance from him. And then Brie Larson is absolutely fantastic. And anything she does, she is just phenomenal. I'm definitely going to check it out now. That's the one movie I was not able to see yet of his. I did see that it just came on HBO. So I will be checking out very, very shortly. Yeah. And so then that will bring me to the 2012 film Chronicle with him playing Steve Montgomery of the three friends that find like what is it like an asteroid of kryptonite that gives them superpowers? Yeah, it's some kind yeah. of uh, space, space rock. rock. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest random found footage films done very very well in an era when you know we've gotten a lot of shit found footage films this came out um of right field and was like wow this is how you do it without it falling into the tropes that it fell into being an overmade genre um and it kind of sucks because the director of this film has tried to make a couple of movies since then he is not things have not worked out so well for him uh after this but he was great uh in this film you know playing one of the teens with i forgot who the other guy was he played the green goblin and uh uh yeah. dean him and dean were definitely the two major standouts that have now gone on and are doing major stuff in both of their careers um but yeah they're fantastic in this great movie a really fun one but that will bring me to my number three being, as you already know ahead of time, I cheated on this list and threw in a TV <laughs> performance because it is oh, boy. my favorite TV show of all time. It is The Wire. And to take this all the way back, this is in 2002. So he had to be like 14 doing this, which is insane, playing Wallace. Uh, you might be and right. It, his performance in that... First of all, hey, if you go back and watch this, you and then you watch the Amazon commercial, you never imagine that the, the, the Wallace from The Wire would turn into the Amazon commercial man because he's a, a young kid um, in a bad area of Baltimore uh, that is being brought into be a pawn now in uh, a large drug game ran by uh, Stringer Bell. Um, and is just one of the most fantastic series ever created, super real. Um, but man, he is a powerhouse in this, and he has a scene in this that if it doesn't just get to you with how real it is, you don't have a fucking heart in your body at all because uh, his performance in this is just devastating uh, and 
again, he's a fucking teenager when he did this. But that will bring me to closing out my list with a double feature from Mr. Ryan Coogler. My number two being Black Panther with him playing Killmonger. He is easily, hands down, the best Marvel villain. He's Nobody has ever touched how great he is. Yes, we've had cosmic-level villains like Thanos that are these epic villains. This guy is grounded, as we've said. He's real. And it makes it all even so great is that, you know, you actually at sometimes kind of side with them you know there's almost like a, a, a transition you know period in the film where you're kind of like hmm, it, it, he does have a right to this um and you do see you know you can understand his motivations it's not out of this insane over the top villainous uh reason for him doing what he's doing um but yeah great movie r.i.p chadwick boseman kind of forever and that will bring me to my number one being creed with him playing adonis so good i remember just being blown away by creed and i remember going into watching creed being like setting the bar really really low because i was worried that it was gonna you know we had mr Sylvester sloan make so many sequels that i did not trust with him being attached to if he would. Well, he allowed Ryan Coogler to, and yeah. actually I think Ryan Coogler's the one who approached him about it. He wrote yeah. it and he approached him about the film and Stallone loved it. And so it, great job. They did a yeah. phenomenal job. Which, with it. Yeah. Again, hats off to Ryan Coogler. He just is amazing. He's a tour to, to force. He's going to be talked about for a long time. Uh, but yeah. So good. It blew me away. Just, I remember still watching it when it first came out during that Oscar season and just being like, holy shit. Like this is the, this is the big sleeper that no one's seen coming, which is again, sports films, you know, some sports films, you, you watch them and, or you can feel that they have that huge like award material where this was like, definitely you did not have that feel. You're walking by the poster. You're not thinking of it. Of course, Rocky was one Oscars back then. Um, but like this was one where it was like you I didn't see it coming and watching it I was just knocked over by it. It was a huge surprise and I loved it and I liked number 2 not as much as 1 but I'm looking forward to number 3. I am looking forward to see where they take this. I, I really am, especially his performance. All right, so there's Matt's top 5 and now I will close out with my top 5. And <laughs> we have a few different. I have all movies not a TV show because I'm a grown-up and we said <laughs> movies. But whatever. Whatever. So my number five is, it's a comedy that he was in in 2014 called That Awkward Moment. And funny movie. Really funny movie. It, it's a very funny movie with Zac Efron, Miles uh, Teller, and then him. And he plays, I mean, he plays the, you know, the, the, the black friend that everyone has, but he's very funny. He plays a doctor. Um, it's about how fucked up men are when it comes to relationships and how, how we really suck at relationships. But uh, it's funny that he would be in that movie because it's one of the few comedies, and as a matter of fact, I think it's the only comedy that I can think of that he's actually been in, and he's really a good comedic actor. Really if is. you didn't he's know funny. that, 
the Amazon, just the Amazon <laughs> uh, commercial so alone sells the fact of his of his ability to act. Now he plays his comedy a little more straight, which is what I like. You know, obviously Zach and Miles are more of the eh, you know zany kind of comedy stuff that happens for them. But actually, uh, you know, get, see the movie. It's a very funny movie, especially you know if you want to see a nice little romantic comedy for your for your ladies to watch. It'll win you points so that they can then watch the other movies on these lists you want to see. My number four is a movie he's in that was not very good, but I thought he was very good in it um, when he played the Human Torch, and that Ugh. is The Fantastic Four. Not a great movie, but I enjoyed him in it, and I actually enjoyed Miles yeah. in it, and I enjoyed some of what K- they were trying was to do in, it, in it. Mara. I thought it was better than the original ones they did. Easily, early, you know, early easily. I think it, it kind of gets... It's an easy... <sighs> Fantastic Four are easy group to make fun of. No matter how, like, they can... I think because they were so young in the film is why people didn't buy it. Because, obviously, everyone knows the Fantastic Four as them being, um, you know, much older in the film or in the comic books. So I think that was part of it. But, one, the fact that uh, the Human Torch is was a black man was pretty fucking cool. You know, it's a big switch as a composer of what's going on in the films or in the comic books. And... You know, I thought it had a good direction. I just it just didn't, you know, hit all the marks. And I think because of how young those actors were trying to play the Fantastic Four, it just didn't register like I think it, it could have. However, I enjoyed him in it. And you know, it's it's not as bad as everyone says it is. It's you know, but again, I think the big hang up for most of it is the fact of how young they are compared to what our thought of who they are is. That's that's just my my opinion. It's like if they hired someone really young to play Wolverine. You know, I've never yeah. we've never seen Wolverine in the comic books. You know, not in his thirties at least. You it's know, like so Zach Efron it would feel weird. Wolverine. Exactly. My number three is once again another superhero movie of his, and that's Black Panther, where he plays uh, Killmonger, and I love him in that movie. He's fantastic. We already talked about it. I'm excited to see where he goes, but I love that he played a villain who really wasn't a villain. It was from a perspective. His life was sent on a trajectory due to the fact that uh, Chuck Boseman's father in the movie uh, killed his father, who was his brother, and left him basically alone uh, to fend for himself in L.A. You know, he grows up despite that but wants revenge and who wouldn't you know it's 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 exactly. funny if it was reverse yeah. if, if, yeah. if it was totally from exactly. his point of view he's the hero and black exactly, panther's yeah. parents are they the are, villains they really so are. they really are especially that's why that scene is so powerful when he comes in there and like tells them they you know find out that they've been hiding stuff certain people and it is the tables get turned there for a minute i mean in star wars the rebels are from another perspective they're terrorists just saying, it's all perspective. My number two is the first movie I can clearly remember him in, and once again, it was a superhero movie type of movie, and that is Chronicle. He's fantastic so in the movie. It was at one time my daughter's favorite movie for a while. It is one of those really good found footage movies. Um, so good. Even though he's he's not in it for the full movie, he is he's really a great in the movie. Yeah, he really is. And that's where you could tell that he had real power. Because the other two gentlemen in it, like, don't get forget me wrong, Dean DeHane was fantastic as the eventual villain. But he he held the screen. He was just charismatic as all get out. And you could tell right away in that movie that he was going to be something really, really big. And he's getting there. And then my number one is your number one, and that is Creed. Nice. I was similar with you when I thought, oh, they're going to make a movie, another one. It's going to be his son. I was like, all right. But when I saw it was Michael B. Jordan, I saw, I was like, you know what? He's He can fucking act, so let's see what goes. I was blown away by it. it Just was the work he put in fantastic. To, to betray this giant boxer. That was, you know, that was when he first showed oh. that he's like, oh, yeah, 
commitment when it comes to like working out rigorously in boxing, like, like ridiculous, like between this and his chemistry with Stallone was so fantastic good. as well. And Stallone so was so good in this movie. So good. So we got a golden globe for, it, but he was yeah. so good in this movie. It was, it was, uh, you know, heartbreaking and fantastic all at once. And, the two of them were fantastic together, and I, I loved it because, you know, it, you have to be a fan of Rocky first off. And if you remember Rocky Four, which is one of my favorites, with the most ridiculous one. But when Apollo Creed dies, that's a tough moment. Like, you're like, holy shit, that really rocks oh, Rocky's yeah. world. And now here he is coming face-to-face with basically the ghost of his past. He has a real tough time deciding if he yeah, wants to train his kid or not. Go. You know, it's really bar- Yep, he's worried he's going to go the yeah, same way his dad did. Yeah, he just wanted blood on his hands again. On the blood of his best friend's son on his hands. Yep. All right. Well, there you have it. We now have uh, <laughs> six movies and one TV show for you yeah. to check out. Watch the whole from series. The great Michael B. Jordan. Uh, well, until next time. Watch this or die. So that will do it for this week's installment. Once again, we would both like to thank you for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now, we do hope that you will enjoy it as much as we have, so please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platforms. Now, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Also, feel free to DM us your thoughts of this week's film. You can always give us your own top five list, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, and even suggest some movies for us to watch. Now, we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always, I'm Scott Crosher. I'm Matt LaPlante. And until next time, watch this or die.